The story goes that uh, a pilot uh, frequently flew over the Appalachians and the mountains and regularly flew, and his co-pilot uh, began to notice that as they went over a certain part of the Appalachians, they would, uh, this pilot would kind of gaze at this certain valley kind of over and over. And um, finally, one day, one of the co-pilots just said, what is it that you're uh, looking at so intently as we fly over this particular area of the mountains? And uh, he said, well, you see that valley down there? There's a stream in the bottom of that valley. And when I was a kid, I used to fish in that stream. And while I was down there fishing, as a young boy, I'd see planes fly over, and I would wish that one day I could fly in one of those planes. And he said, and today, I wish I could fish in that stream. And uh, isn't that funny? Isn't that how our hearts really are? We want something, we get it, we want something else, what we used to have. Our hearts uh, are fickle and um, oftentimes discontent, right? And so we'll be looking, we're in the Proverbs now, we're looking at the idea of discontentment, and uh, Webster calls discontentment the state of happiness, or or actually contentment, not discontent, he calls contentment uh, a statement of happiness and uh, a satisfaction, And so the reality is, for all of us, is that uh, at some level, there's something you're discontent about right now. You're not content, you're discontent, and you have discontentment in your heart about something just like the pilot. And uh, I just want to ask that question to you. What do you think it is, what is it in your life today that you are convinced that if you had it, it would be a state of happiness and satisfaction for you? What is that thing? And if it's relational, maybe it's relational in nature. Uh, maybe you think if my marriage would it was better or this thing or something, God would do something in my spouse or if it's, in, it's relational in its nature within your family, if there's a, something in strife or relational strife there or things going on or we just wish something within your own family that God, if this would change, then I would, my contentment would be, I'd finally have contentment, I'd be fine in life, I could just have that. Maybe it's a relationships with coworkers or a situation you find yourself in work the boss or a coworker or something, you feel like if that could just be fixed, that'd be better. Maybe, uh, is, it, uh, is it a task or circumstances that you're in? Maybe is there a task or a project you have and you think, if I can just get past this and around this corner, then I'll be okay? Or is it maybe um, uh, um, just the circumstances that you find yourself in, no matter what they are, you think if my circumstances could just change a little bit, I'd finally be a little better. And I'd, I know then I'd have contentment. And uh, maybe it's around health. Um, maybe you uh, believe if something could change within your health that you'd have true peace kind of contentment if that would help. And those, those are normal. That's what our hearts are, are prone to think and long for. It's not wrong. But oftentimes, one of the things that we, we, um, that we are convinced uh, will bring us contentment has to do with money and our finances. And this week, as we are continuing in our series in the Proverbs, we're going to look at contentment and how it relates to money. Okay, not these other areas of life, but particularly money is a thing that we can expose, that we can find ourselves discontent with our financial circumstances and have, a, and, uh, and have lots of discontentment around uh, money and our possessions and our finances. And so we'll be doing two weeks in money. This week will be on contentment. Next week will be on generosity and greediness and how the Proverbs address that. Uh, so I just remind you of some of the Proverbs, what they do. They, they kind of move us towards a path. Uh, it's not really specific applications, but kind of warn us towards pathways we should walk down. And, uh, and really, I want to remind you that God wants you to flourish. So what he's concluded, what you can realize this is that, um, uh, is that God wants you to flourish in his world and your contentment around your finances is part of learning to walk in that correctly is a part of the way you and I can flourish. All right? 
And so uh, with that being said, one other illustration from the pilot, which was just discontent. But here's one around finances. Um, there's a story of a, uh, of a man, two friends. They encounter each other on the street. And uh, one of the friends noticed that his buddy is really, really sad. And he sees that he's sad. And he says, hey, man, it looks like you're really down in the dumps. What's going on? He said, well, um, man, three weeks ago, uh, I had a, a, a distant uncle. I don't know, but he died. And I inherited $30,000. And his buddy says, wow, that's a lot of money. He says, so you're sad? He goes, yeah. And then he said, actually, two weeks ago, I had a distant cousin out of nowhere that I didn't know about uh, die, and I inherited $90,000. And he was like, wow, that's a lot of money. He said, are you okay? And he said, well, and just, just last week, he said, my great aunt, who I kind of knew, well, she died, and I didn't know this, but I, I inherited $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars. He's like, man, you, you must feel blessed. I mean, just all these things are happening. So, so uh, why are you so sad? He said, well, I hadn't gotten anything this week. Nobody's died this week. <laughs> and... Um, It probably does illustrate a little bit of uh, when it comes to finances that there's an, an unusual relationship, that illustration being different than the others, that we can have with finances around more or thinking or they can dupe us in many, many ways. So let me just say this. If you're going to thrive in this world as God wants us to, then you've got to relate to money and riches and possessions well. You've got to relate to them well. And... Um, and no matter how dire or how good your circumstances are financially, money can deceive you and rob you from true peace and contentment. Let me say that again. No matter how good or how bad your circumstances are financially, money uh, can deceive you and rob you of true peace and contentment. All right? So we'll look at three, three points this morning. Uh, here, we'll look at the, the disposition of contentment. We'll look at the, um, the ditches of contentment, particularly pertaining to money. And then we'll look at the destination of contentment. Where should contentment land from our passages this morning? So um, let's pray. God, would you, um, would you help us to see um, the way you want us to see and relate to finances and money? particularly in the area of, of contentment. And God, we are, we, are, uh, we are so like that guy in the illustration who uh, in many ways we, we lose our sight of thankfulness and your provision and we want more or we don't think well. We can so easily be duped. And would you help us to recognize the ways that uh, you warn us, help us to recognize how the scriptures, how you help us to see uh, what money can do to us and, and rob us of our contentment. Would you help us that? Would you speak to our minds? Would you speak to our hearts? And then would you also speak to our hands? Would you let us walk away with application and things that might should change, whether it be to believe something or something practically need to change in our life? But would you, would you grant us um, uh, from this, this meal on your word this morning, would you grant us these things? In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
All right, so looking at our passage, the first point, just the, the disposition of contentment. What does it look like? Now, what I wanted, uh, uh, you know, this is an off week for our connect groups. If you're visiting with us, all of our Bible studies and life groups, what we all call connect groups, anybody in our church that's in a formal connect group where the Bible is sent to at different levels, they're all studying Proverbs, they're studying. So we're mapping along just as they are. And so this week, uh, but this was Thanksgiving. Not sure if many of you did your study this week or what, but it was around money and it was around contentment. And uh, one of the key verses we had in the week's study was from uh, the Proverbs 38, 9. So, but what's interesting is what we didn't have is the verse 7 that probably helps us understand. So you'll see that there. And um, the disposition of contentment. Let me read uh, 7 through 9 for us again. Two things I've asked of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying and give me poverty nor riches. Feed me, that is, uh, feed me the food that is needful for me, uh, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So uh, the first point of understanding the disposition really is um, understanding kind of who's praying and the fact that this is a prayer. Okay, uh, there's uh, not all of the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon, although most of it we think that. But um, this this particular chapter was written by uh, a guy by the name of Agar or Gur is his name, and it's mentioned in the first part of the chapter, Proverbs 30, and he's writing this. Now we don't know anything about him other than his word, uh, the name of it, his name means sojourner. I think there's not anything to really know. But if you read the whole chapter, I mean, he seems to be a pretty mature sage or person, and he's. He's, um, here we have the only prayer in all of Proverbs is the, are these three verses. Now, that's an interesting thought, right? And that tells you something towards the disposition of contentment is that prayer, the posture of prayer, which is what is prayer? Prayer is uh, really, in, when we talk to God, we're admitting that we're dependent upon you for all things. The fact that we don't pray and oftentimes don't pray shows that we don't think we need God. But when we do pray, prayer is a lifestyle. Prayer is a lifestyle of dependence upon God. So you can, you can maybe think about how often do I pray? How frequently do I pray? How do I think about prayer? How is prayer central to even to us as a church and you as a person? That really does reflect really how much you view your life as dependent upon God. That, um, that prayer is central to that. And so, uh, so it's the only, only prayer in all the Proverbs. That's an interesting thought. So it's interesting then, what does he ask for? But the very disposition of uh, contentment is the fact that we're dependent upon God and we're praying. And, um, and so notice that he asks for two things. The first one we're not going to address, he asks to not become a liar or, uh, and not to put his hope in wealth are the two things he asks for. And um, um, you know, the first one you'll see there, two things I ask for, deny me not to be, uh, be before I die, or remove from, far from me, verse 8, all falsehood and lying. So vanity and falsehood are the first ones. We're not looking at that. We're looking at the second part. And the second part that he asked for is to give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, isn't that interesting? So if I were to ask you, if you could pray for one thing today, if you had one thing you could pray for and ask for, what would it be? Because our prayers really do say about what really is going on in our hearts. And, and here what we learn about Agur is that he is um, at some point dependent upon the Lord. He's aware of it at this point. Maybe he's having a good day. Maybe he's having a good month. I'm sure he's had bad ones. But here, the posture of his contentment is really revealed in the fact that he's praying. And contentment really is seen. And what his praying tells he's dependent upon the Lord. Our contentment really is, flows back to Proverbs 1-7, that all wisdom, right, flows from, uh, wisdom flows from our awe and intimacy and reverence towards God. 
how connected we are to God, how dependent we are to God, wisdom. So in order to be wise and have discernment around um, contentment and money, uh, we must be dependent upon the Lord. Now notice how he asks in verse 7 there. He asked God, um, and I think that reveals a little bit. Notice how he asked God for what he needed and what is, what is life and wanted in his life. He did not tell God what to do. He didn't claim any promises. He didn't try to use faith to manipulate God into doing whatever he wanted. He simply asked God for what he was wanted. And like a child addressing a father, like a servant speaking to his master, like a sinful man praying to a holy God, he simply just asked God for what he needed in prayer. And this is just kind of how you and I, that's a good model. He's just, he looks like one who knows God and he just comes to him and says, here's what I need and what I want. And he asks for those things uh, with humble submission and not with arrogance and not presumption. Uh, but you do see just um, the, the beauty of his, the cry. He's like, give it, please give this to me before I die. So if you want to say, if you feel like um, you struggle with discontentment in any area of your life, then you probably, not probably, have lost sight of your dependence and need for God and everything. And are you talking to him? What it's clear from what his prayer is, is God, you have what I need. And it's interesting that the very things that he's asking for, particularly around, his fi- around money and possessions here, he's asking for something that will keep him connected to God. Do you see that? Like, don't let me have this or this because those things will keep me from you. He's asking for something from God. And what he's asking for that will actually help him stay connected to him. That's, that's the core of contentment. Our discontentment is rooted in our disconnection from God. So the next, the ditches of contentment, and that shows up really there in verse 8 uh, when he says um, in his prayer, in his request, he says there's kind of two ditches or two ways you can gravitate towards being discontent uh, around uh, money. And he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Now that's an interesting question, right? Give me neither, I don't want to be rich or I don't want to be poor, um, I actually, uh, this verse struck me when we got to it. it within the last year and a half, there was a, a man within our denomination that I uh, know pretty well, but I don't know at a deep level, and had the opportunity to sit under him with some teaching and some training and get to know him. And uh, in one of those sessions in the time I was with him, he, uh, he opened up, and one of the first things he shared, he said this was the passage that he prayed for his children his whole life. That God would never let them, never let them over prosper or or under prosper. That He and, and and that's an interesting prayer, right? So let me just pause right there and say where, where do I fit? Now, what it's not wrong to be rich because we know the Bible teaches us that God assigns wealth. All right, and Solomon was rich. Who wrote this book? It's not wrong to be rich. Nor is it wrong that it's necessarily we've looked at in a couple weeks ago that it's wrong that people are in poverty or are poor. That's not sin. Neither one of those are, are wrong. But what this particular proverb is teaching us is that uh, Agur, the guy who wrote this, looks at it and there's something around finances that he's just kind of learned about the world. And this is kind of a pattern that he's kind of seen. And so the idea is that there's something about the extreme of one and the extreme of the other that I don't want either one of those. Those things seem to ruin people. And that's what he's kind of processing. And he's saying, uh, Lord, I don't want those ditches. I want something. Don't give me either one of those, all right? And that's kind of the ditches of contentment. Now, let's just look at that. Now, as you read that and you see that and you think, okay, which, which one am I, you know, so 
<laughs> Maybe if you're like me, I thought, well, does that mean if you're middle class, then you're good? <laughs> right? We're just middle class. So, no, that's not the point, to my, where you find yourself in the middle class in America. Uh, I do, uh, and that's really hard to kind of figure out what is poverty and what is not and in this country and others. We've looked at that in the previous weeks. But um, let me just at least say this. Uh, in his book, um, Money Possessions, Randy Alcorn, a short book, but a great book, he says, st- statistically, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment, have reasonably reliable means of transportation, then you are among the 15% of the world's most wealthy. If you have any, have any uh, money saved, if you have a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, if you have a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home, you're in the top 5% of the world's wealthy, right? So um, you do have to kind of calculate kind of what is it like to be in each culture, right? And poverty here in some ways is a little bit different than in other cultures and different worlds. But, but here's the thing I want you to kind of sit yourself in these ditches. I think you probably can identify mostly with the wealth, but sometimes in our lives and some, some of the poverty. And sometimes, especially if you begin to compare yourself to others, you can feel like the impoverished, right? So I don't know where you are on that spectrum. My guess is we're more in the wealthy because that's most of us here. But the point is to kind of sit yourself in there and say, Lord, where is my heart in this? And um, between this wealth and riches. So there's two ditches. All right, so... Um, I think the first one is in verse 9. There's ditches, and there's on either side. It's either poverty or riches. So look, uh, wealth or riches, uh, poverty or riches. So look at verse 9. So the first ditch, I think, in, in the, uh, if, you, if it's towards the wealthy side, there's a ditch that can come with that, and I think it's denial. Look at that. Verse 9 says, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? So um, what the proverb is trying to tell us is that when you have wealth, when you have riches, then it's really easy to conclude functionally in your life that you don't really need God that much because you have most of your immediate needs are met. And, um, and they're met pretty easily in many ways. And, um, and some of the reason, I think, is because when you have the money, it actually... It actually brings you, you know, money's not the root of all evil, uh, or money's not evil in and of itself, it's the root of all evil, meaning that, what do we mean by that when the Bible says that? It's that, that money actually gives you kind of the, the means to get to your idols oftentimes. So if you think about the idols of comfort and power or approval or status, money can allow you to kind of get the things in life, if you have the resources, that you can have those idols. You can maybe gain some power, or maybe you can gain some status, or maybe you can have comfort and live a a pretty comfortable life in the scenes of not need of basic needs. And when you have those idols and you're able to get to them, listen, idols deliver a little bit. They actually deliver for a little while. They seem right. And so that is the nature of an idol is because they're usually good things and they can deliver, but they never satisfy the soul. And so you can have a little comfort and you get duped into saying, well, I'm comfortable, therefore I don't need God. Eventually, you will become uncomfortable. (laughs) Or you can think, "I, uh, I have power, therefore I don't need 
I don't need God. And, um, and what the proverb is trying to tell us is that he's like, I realize if I, the pro, he's saying, if I have riches, Lord, I will forget I need you. And, uh, and I will even deny you. And, uh, and therefore, uh, I'm really discontent and I don't know it. <laughs> and sometimes I may even want more and more and more. Uh, one of the Proverbs you read this week in our study says, that, um, says this about money. In Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, I don't have it on the screen, but it says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. What does that mean about riches and all that it brings us? It means that you'll, you'll see it, but it sprouts wings and it goes on, meaning I need another Family member to to die so I can have more money. I mean, it never seems to satisfy the soul. Our soul really wants to have more. And then notice this. um, You see that phrase there, who is the Lord? That that really does beckon to the Old Testament, and it's who is the Lord. Uh, Yahweh, the capital Lord there, probably is the Yahweh word for Lord, which is the name given to God in the Exodus, right? So think about what happened in the Exodus. Was there anyone in the Exodus who had all kinds of wealth and didn't think they needed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the true God of Israel? Who was that thing? I, I think that hearkens us or reminds us, some commentators think that reminds us of the Pharaoh. Right, The Pharaoh himself had everything, was a ruler, and he did not think he needed the God that Moses spoke to him about. He had the money, he had the power, he had the magicians. And in the end, it was only death to his son, death that even caused him to relent and think that he might be mortal and was up against something he couldn't overcome. And oftentimes, um, it seems that the wealth, that, that uh, the mortality and death is sometimes the only thing that does speak to the wealthy. We are, we are a culture that is, by many means, one of the most wealthy cultures to ever live. And it doesn't seem like we, we don't do well relating to death in our own country. Because death is something our possessions and our money can't overcome. And it makes it really, really, really hard. And then other, other things that maybe riches bring. We'll see from Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than greater treasure and trouble with it. One of the things the Proverbs says is that with wealth and the possessions that you have, it brings more trouble. More stuff, more trouble. More responsibility. And so the trouble could be that you want more and you're discontent, but it just messes up life. Listen. Uh, just this weekend, Brittany uh, said, listen, I know you don't want to hear this, Shane, but we have got to tackle our attic. <laughs> and I was like, I'm ready to. I hate, we can't even walk through it. And what is it? It's just stuff. It's stuff. And the more and stuff that I can't justify to you why we have it anymore. But what has that stuff through the accumulation? It has brought stress and trouble and complication. And in the most unique sense, right, it's going to take probably a good two days of work and up and down. And not only what it will cost me in every mean thing I'll say to my kids while we're working on it, and every snappy word I'll say to Brittany, I mean, the wealth and the possessions and that, it will bring strife and struggle because of what we accumulate, right? And um, the proverb is telling us here in, in, uh, that 
Let's not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Notice it says to be full. When you're full, I don't think I need anything. I don't really want anything else to eat because I'm full. And ultimately, we will deny him. And so, uh, so he says, don't give me the riches of that. Think about um, you know, even the statistics. They say about lottery winners and what it, lottery, people who win the lottery, how it destroys their life, right? I mean, the wealth, it doesn't deliver on what we think it will. And um, so this, one of the things to... Um, the proverb is saying to us is to um, don't believe that wealth will bring you the contentment. In this proverb, he's actually saying, don't give it to me because I know it won't. It actually could disrupt things for me. And then the other side of it in verse 9 is, Lord, or lest I be poor and still profane the name of God. So the other ditch, so one ditch, uh, discontentment can come when you're being wealthy and you can deny God and it can bring... Uh, turmoil and all kinds of things you don't think you need him. But also notice that poverty can actually put you in a place where you're desperate. And you're so desperate that you might steal, right? See that? Or profane the name of the Lord. What does that mean? So you can find yourself in such need and without that you're distracted and you'd be mad at God and actually sin and break his commandments in order to get what you should want. Now, we don't have to break. I don't want to break down all of this and what all that means. But it, can, it ought to make us pause and have compassion about poverty, because this is what it can cause in people. They, when poverty comes, you can think, I want to steal. I need it. i got to have it. You don't think in light of logical right and wrong. And not only that, but then you profane the name of God. I can, if I had nothing, I was extreme poverty, I can see how my heart would say, God, do you even care about me? I don't have. You're not providing. How can you be a loving God? Why have you forsaken me? I mean, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? I mean, where are you? And I can see how in the poverty I would also say, I'm going to take that because I deserve it. And it's hard in the circumstances I'm in. I think we have, have to have some compassion Towards that. And then I think we ought to pause and, and realize that there's probably times in our life where we feel like we're impoverished in certain areas, and maybe in finances, and you have thought, I deserve this, and you cross lines that you shouldn't cross. Why? Because we believe in that moment, the impoverished think, if I could have money, I'll be content. And the rich person says, I have money, therefore I am content. And both are lies. And we could profane the Lord. I, uh, Proverbs 16.8 says, better is a little, one of the verses we had says, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And what he's saying is that, listen, if you think you need something and you find yourself in dire needs, don't. Righteousness is better. Don't steal. Don't compromise. Righteousness is better. Go to God. Go to him. It's way better. Meet with him. Trust in him. Don't take matters in your own hands and don't deny him. It's better. Righteousness is better than to move towards any type of injustice in your work or pray. Now, in comparing those two ditches... Um, you know, I tried to think, I don't know if you're like me, but it's like if I'm in the ditch of, uh, of maybe I have wealth and therefore I can either be want more in wealth or I think I'm okay, and that's not true contentment. 
contentment's only found in the Lord, or I'm in poor and I'm impoverished and I'm mad and I think if I could just have money, that'd fix all my problems. It's interesting. Um, which one do you think is, uh, I, I think that we culturally think that the impoverished are the ones that are the only ones that sin in it. And we lose sight of that there's just as many discontent and sinning folks who are, who, uh, who are wealthy. And they both have, did not have their contentment in the Lord. I, um, in one sense, you know how uh, I've, we've said this recently, and uh, a couple of us, I know I've said it, and, and, and being in a third world country and visiting and to encounter Christians there, as I've visited places like Ethiopia or Kazakhstan or, or um, uh, Haiti or different Colombia, even this summer, and visit some third world countries and meet a Christian who's poor and say, and say, wow, they don't have anything, and uh, they're so happy still, right? And we're amazed by that. Well, we ought to also need to be amazed when we encounter rich people who are happy and in content and aren't putting their hope in that. Because the issue isn't having or having not. God is a provider for us. The point is, how do you relate to the finances for contentment? And we ought to be amazed when the wealthy... I mean, Jesus even said that it's hard for a rich man... To pass through the eye of a need, or the camel to pass through the eye of a need, or the rich man. There's something difficult around wealth and contentment, and there's something very difficult around poverty and contentment. And wherever you find yourself in those, um, the proverb is saying, uh, money will not be the answer. Then lastly, the destination of contentment and relating to money. And um, it's really there in the middle of verse, uh, verse 8, uh, where it says, at the end of verse 8, where he says, this is kind of the destination of our contentment. It says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. And so he says, I don't want poverty, I don't want riches, just give me, Lord, what I need. So remember, we say it's not the issue that wealth is bad or poverty is bad. What the proverb is telling us is that you can be discontent in wealth or you can be discontent in poverty. And so he's, but Lord, let me, what the proverb seems to be saying is that, Lord, let me, the prayer is, Lord, let me be content and think about just needs. If you provide for my deeds, let me be thankful for that. You determine what I need and what my needs are, and let me be thankful for that. Well, ultimately, what I want is to be content, Lord. I want to be thankful for what I have. And how appropriate is that coming off of Thanksgiving? Hopefully, you processed what you were thankful for in, in, uh, during the Thanksgiving time. But the destination of contentment is to find ourselves really thankful for God's provision for our needs and to rest in that in our dependence upon him. And then notice it does say, um, he also says, say, who is the Lord? And it was interesting as I was studying this week, just the fact that it says um, in his prayer, he says, I want to, uh, other, I uh, will deny you and say, who is the Lord? He's, he's, you, you see what he's saying? The heart is connected to the, the tongue is connected to the heart. And what I think he's trying to say is that I want my heart, what, what's flowing out of my heart, is to not say, I don't want to say, well, who are you, Lord? I want to be near to you. I, don't, I want to be close to you. And he's mindful of what he what doesn't want to lose. And so the destination of contentment is inward. We arrive inwardly with our hearts resting in God. Our contentment starts inwardly. 
And then we realize that we're trusting in him. And okay. There was a C.S. Lewis quote I came across this week and I thought was the best to kind of. And um, kind of a summary here is to um, notice uh, that this, that uh, when he says, who is the Lord? Remember, he's reckoning back to the, I don't want to lose sight of Yahweh. I don't want to lose sight of the one who provided manna. I don't want to lose sight of the one who provided the water in the desert. I don't want to lose sight of the one who rescues. And now what you and I know is that Jesus has come on the scene. He's saying, your contentment is found in the true manna. The manna from above that has come to live with Jesus, the bread of life. Your thirsts are quenched in the true living water. Not in riches and not in poverty. But the true Yahweh who has now come. And so, um, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I've read it and seen it numerous times. Uh, and so the point is, uh, he's saying here, just be sure to set your heart on the, not on the gift, which will certainly fail you, but on the giver, who will certainly never fail you. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. So what he's saying is, he, the thing that we, the world, he, God doesn't let the world really deliver on it, if that makes sense, because it can't. But joy, pleasure, and merriment, he has scattered broadcast. And so there is some joy that he's scattered among the world. And we are never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy. It is not hard to see why. The security we all crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and oppose an obstacle to our return to God. A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with our friends, a bath or a football match have no such tendency. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to make them for a home. Do you see that? The ends, just sometimes, this thing in the world, they, it can, things of this world really can. They're good, and we taste of them. And money uh, can be, uh, provide some kind of value for you in your life. It can provide, and you can actually, it, it can provide uh, some meaning and accomplish things that you need to. It's a necessary thing, but don't drink from it. Anything that you enjoy in this world, it's an end. It's not home. It's just momentary. What we taste of in this world is not the ultimate home. It's not the ultimate taste. It's not the ultimate meal. We just taste of it. And when it comes to money, don't let it be an end that you... See, it is only an end. Don't let it be your home. So, uh, an application this morning. Where, where are you... A couple of thoughts. Where are you uh, discontent in your finances? And um, I think you ought to think about that. In what way are, have you... In your wealth or your struggles, whatever it may be, where's your discontentment? And... Um, and believe uh, this morning that flourishing is not about the amount of money you have, okay? And then secondly, um, it seems appropriate that we, contentment be something we think about as we come into this Advent season. Don't let money distract you from Advent, the true coming and the true meaning, the one that we, um, the one whom we've put our hope in, right? I don't know if you're like me, but... At Christmas time, you start looking at budgets and how much we can give and how little or how much or what can we do. And it can make you, it's a time where we try to evaluate, I want to do more or less. It's just a time where we can find ourselves discontent with our finances. And so um, I think this is a good time for us to say,
God, give me neither riches nor poverty, but let me find my needs and my rest in you. The fact that you have come and will come again. Help us to rest in that. Uh, Really, all of life is Advent, uh, is living in light of his coming. We live in that in between all the time. So let's pray. Father, would you help us to um, respond to you this morning um, and believe that you're good and you want us to flourish and that you, you love us so much that you tell us that, uh, um, you love us so much that you warn us against the contentment that money, the discontentment that money can bring. And Father, I pray that you would help us um, as individuals and as families um, to process uh, where our hearts are discontent and don't let us believe any of the lies that money and this world screams to us about it, pertain to it. So would, we, would you help us to remember that you're a good father and that you do provide for us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. <laughs>